Bailey, I'll keep this intro short, simple, and to the point. I hope you got your fill of fun and lightheartedness last week because this week will be anything but. Prepare to be thoroughly horrified and bummed out because I'm here to tell you about the deadliest crash in motorsport history. Uh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's a disaster. I'm so intrigued. Uh, just wait, it gets worse. We are just the masters of disasters, aren't we? Calamity Janes. Wow, you really did not mince words there. <laughs> I did not. Well, welcome to Calamity Janes, where we don't always talk about the most grim of disasters, but apparently this week Madison has primed us for something real heavy. So I'm Bailey. I'm Madison. And we're your hosts. The Harbringers of Sadness. Oh my god. <laughs> Please tell me you have some sort of uplifting anything at the end of this. No, your face just told me no. Okay, okay, fine. That's fine. I'll think. I'll think on this. Yeah, you, that's your job. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's just dive in. Did I, I mean, did I miss anything? I guess I, I'm so distracted by what you have <laughs> promised so that I don't even know how I introduced us. Did I cover the bases? We're Calamity Janes. We're Disaster Podcast. Welcome. Uh, yeah, Bring I mean, us down. Yeah, so that, that's what I'm here to do. It's been a while since we had a truly emotionally devastating disaster. <laughs> and that was such a bad thing. Yeah, okay. Well, you can blame our father because he suggested this disaster to me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like... For emotional trauma, <laughs> like, oh my god, I'm not like really, really open up and just like. <laughs> Welcome to Calamity Janes, where we have a weekly therapy session. A weekly therapy <laughs> session. Okay, well, actually, like, I mean. my friend Megan suggested this, and then I went to our dad, who's very into motorsports, who confirmed that this was just as horrible as Wikipedia told me it was. Okay. And then so many other awful things. I am just as sad to jump into this as I was at the beginning of this podcast. So let's rip this Band-Aid off. Perfect. Let's do it. <clears throat> it feels like we somehow got on the world's tallest roller coaster and I missed the ride up. <laughs> like we're about to plunge into, like stomach's about to go up into my throat and we're going to have those scary butterflies, but I don't remember the write-up. That might be the baby. That might be a sensation that your baby is making you feel. No, the baby is kicking me in the ribs. My husband's son is kicking me <laughs> in the ribs. That's what that is. It stopped being intelligent gas, and it's now a oh person. God. That's what kicks have, like felt like for the most part until really recently and now it's like that is a whole person kicking me from the inside if you like poke him does he kick you back um no he's super rude and he like doesn't move when i gently nudge him and i'm like hey little dude please get your foot out of my ribs he doesn't care he does not care and that's disrespectful i don't even know how to parent at this point like that's disrespect and it's just going to get so different from here. Thank you for not saying worse. I would never say that to you. You might. I won't. Because when people say that to me, I have to actively not choose violence. <laughs> it's There is nothing worse than having a difficult moment with your child and having someone say, oh, just wait. It gets so much worse. 
Like, why? What? How does why that did help? You say that. Who? How are you being helpful right now? Who hurt you? Exactly. Who told that to you for you to pass it on to me? Exactly. Or even when you're not having a difficult moment. We had Bonnie in a restaurant a couple of months ago. She was being wonderful, just like kind of quietly cooing to us at the table. Oh, no. And someone ruined it. Well, yeah. And then some guy who was dealing with his toddler walked past and was like, oh, just wait. She'll get bad. She'll turn into a monster or something like that. It's like, okay. Rude. (laughs) Quit projecting your anger and angst on me and my adorable perfect baby. Exactly. I didn't go up to you and talk about your kid because your kid's just having a moment because he's a kid. (laughs) Bet you wish your child were back in my kid's face. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. I'm off my pedestal. And that has been our parenting corner. (laughs) Okay, are you ready? I know, but okay, fine. On June 11th, 1955, in Le Mans, France, the 32nd annual 24 Hours of Le Mans took place. So this is 1955. Okay. This race is for crazy people because its winner is determined not by who is able to cover a fixed distance in the least amount of time, which is like a typical race that you might think of, but by the car that covers the greatest distance in 24 hours. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was like Squid Game and they play like red light, green light, but you die. I have not watched Squid Game, so spoilers. Okay. It's everywhere. Literally what I told just told you is everywhere in pop culture. So it's not a spoiler. It happens very early on, but you got to watch. If I watch Moana, you got to watch Squid Game. Easy. Can do. Done. Okay. This race is part of the Triple Crown of Motorsports, which includes the Indianapolis 500 and the Monaco Grand Prix. Hmm. Okay. You know what those are, right? I do. Okay. I barely do. I mean, I know where those places are, and I assume that the races take place. Yes. The Le Mans is meant to test a car's reliability, not just its speed. So these cars have to be reliable, well-built, and fuel-efficient. Hmm. I like the objective, the concept. It yeah, makes sense. For I sure. like it a little better than just who can build the fastest car. It's like the Iron Man of cars, it sounds like. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, but there are some downsides. The race is held on closed public roads and dedicated sections of racing track, meaning large portions of the track are not maintained well simply because they're being used by people all day, every day. Oh. Well, mm-hmm. but like the breaks in between the race like they don't use that as an opportunity to fix her up uh i mean i think a little bit but it's not like the indianapolis 500 that's you know like it's like an arena sort of thing uh where it's closed off all it's used for is racing so interest i see so because these are like it's not a closed controlled sort of space it's public roads but still i would i would does the route change every time um i don't think so i mean i think there have been changes but at this point not so much then yeah it makes me wonder why there wouldn't be some sort of agreement between the race organization and the cities that they know they're going to be in every year and like it's 1955 man the bar is low oh that's true we didn't have safety we didn't have (laughs) There was nothing. There, there was no nothing. No standards back then. <laughs> um, yeah, so as opposed to dedicated racing tracks that are built and maintained for high-performance driving, these are just regular roads. Okay. 
So since this is a 24-hour race, obviously you're going to need uh, more than one driver per car, right? Mm -hmm. Most teams used two drivers in the early decades of the race. However, some drivers, such as Pierre, and I think this is pronounced Leve, it is L-E-V-E-G-H. Sure. Okay. I feel like it's not a horrible guess. No. I did try looking it up, and I did not find good answers. I think it sounds nice, too. Like, if, it, if that's not how you say it, it's, it should be, because it sounds lovely coming out of your mouth. Perfect. Yep. Um, and Eddie Hall are the two Easy drivers. Easy That try. Yeah, that one's a lot <laughs> easier for me. Um, they tried to do the entire 24 hours by themselves. Oh, my God. Um, is now a good time for questions about logistics? Um, we're going to... Logistics about the race? Yes. Like, where do they fuel up? Where do they go to the bathroom? How do they eat? These sorts of things. Okay. So, they're just like with races now, Mm -hmm. there are pit areas for them to pull off. So, okay. So, there is like a grandstand area. Uh huh. Um, There's like a starting area with pits where the crews are. There's like a big crowd and a grandstand behind there and like a terraced kind of setup. Mm -hmm. And then I think at different parts of the race, there are portions of spectators okay so i don't have a good answer for you as to what the entire track looked like okay um but it's not just like a circle and do they do so they do this track multiple times like it's not one yeah throughout the 24 hours they're just going and going so you try to get as many laps in or try to cover as much ground as you can okay do you know how long the track normally is i don't actually. That's a very good question. I was just curious to be like, how many times do they do this? Or con- that's a really good question. On average, you know. Yeah, that would have been really good information to include here. But <laughs> honestly, I got so distracted by what happens next that I'm really. I'm. That's what I'm trying to do right now is just not get to what's next. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. That. Uh, but yes, there are pit areas. Um, you pull off, have your tires changed, take a bathroom break or something um there are i don't know honestly i can't remember quite if i go into this but there are rules about when you have to switch after how much time you do have to switch after this that this particular race brought in a lot of rules that's typically how it happens isn't it yeah it takes something really horrific to happen yeah um okay uh, so, but with current rules that we won't really get into, most teams use three drivers now. Oh, okay. Well, with that's only still, yeah, but they hours. they take they do it in small chunks. Okay, I don't think it's like you get six hours, you get six hours. I think yeah. it's um like smaller chunks that you keep rotating. But yes, I agree. That's still a lot to do. Okay, so what happened? Why am I talking to you about this? Yeah, I don't know. We could just call it a day right now. We learned something new. You are in the wrong business if this is I what's know. <laughs> well, there was a lot of anticipation for this particular race. Ferrari, Jaguar, and Mercedes-Benz had all won the race before and all three rolled up with new and improved cars. Ooh, um do the brands themselves normally compete or is it kind of one yes. of the Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So it's not like individuals who or, or is it kind of one of the same? Does Is a driver like, I love racing, I'm going to build a car, and so Mercedes comes to them and is like, well, you want to drive our car? And they're like, would love to. Or is this... That's a good question. Okay. I'm not totally sure. Probably one in the same a little gotcha. bit. Okay. Like, you've got amazing cars that are being tested, and you have amazing drivers that are being tested. Okay. 
Yeah. I imagine maybe somewhat kind of like horse racing, like the horses are obviously being tested, but the jockeys are as well. Yeah. Um, But I don't know who reaches out to who exactly. Probably a little bit of both. Interesting. Okay. The Ferraris were all very fast, but prone to mechanical failure, which is interesting because at the time they focused their racing almost exclusively on Le Mans and had the very experienced Formula One driver, Mike Hawthorne, on their team. Mm. Mercedes-Benz debuted a new 300 SLR that featured a body constructed of ultra-lightweight magnesium alloy. Uh, oh, okay. The car opted for the more basic inboard drum brakes and a large air brake behind the driver that could be raised to increase drag and slow the vehicle. Among Mercedes-Benz various cars and driver combinations, sorry, various car and driver combinations was French driver Pierre Levey, mm-hmm. who I mentioned earlier as sometimes, like, wanting to do this by himself right he did not do that this year well that's good uh yes so the driving circuit in 1955 was mostly the same as it had been in 1923 which is when this race was first started oh wow that also means that back in 23 the top speeds of competing cars were typically 60 miles per hour or 100 kilometers per hour can you imagine And in 55, top speeds were over 170 miles per hour or 270 kilometers per hour. That is quite the improvement in just a short amount of time. It really is. But also means your track is probably not conducive to the speeds that you're now trying to take on it. No. Like at all. The circuit had been resurfaced and widened after World War II, but there were no barriers between the pit lane and the racing lane. Yeah. Mm. So that's already not great. Red flag, number one. Yep. And all that separated spectators from cars zooming past on uneven roads at breakneck speeds was a four-foot earthen bank. So like a a mound? Yeah, like a dirt patch. Okay. Yeah, that was four feet. Cool. It did diddly. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound like it'd be any match for a car going 100 miles an hour. Another fun fact, the cars had no seatbelts because the drivers thought it was better to be thrown clear of a collision than to be crushed or trapped in a burning car. So that's the logic we're dealing with here. Did, uh, ha- hmm, interesting. <laughs> be- uh, have so, they, had they never seen anyone ejected from a car? Like, that can't be the case. They had to no, have seen I, someone thrown from a car. I think they knew. I don't know if they necessarily thought their odds of survival were better. Maybe they just thought that was the better alternative to being burned to death. So it basically is like, we know we're not going to survive a crash. We just would rather be uh, a lawn dart before we die as opposed to a s'more. It's also interesting because they say trapped in a burning car. These cars, I think this year in 55 at least, almost all, if not all of the cars were, didn't have tops. They were, yeah. Oh, Mm-hmm. They were, like, very low to the ground, kind of long, and um, didn't – they had a windshield, but, like, they're – imagine, like, a convertible situation. These are not convertibles, but they don't have tops. They are topless. Indecent. <laughs> um, that is interesting. I guess I, – you never see that in racing now, so I assume it's for an aerodynamic reason. Did, maybe they – did they not know that? <laughs> <laughs> I do not know. So huh. that's also what these look like. Obviously okay. sports cars. 
very sleek, very what we would now look at and think luxury. Okay. Um, but yeah, 55. So take that as you will. But just so I'm having a very about. hard time imagining what a car in 1955, a sleek luxury racing car in 55 would look like. Just because I feel like all of the, I'm envisioning the family car, the boat without seatbelts that, you know, families would yeah. drive around. Let me, um, let me show you a picture. Oh. See? Oh, that looks like a Bond car. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So see what I'm saying? Yes, I, I do see what you are saying. We will link this in the show notes so that you too can visualize what we mean. It is very sleek. And the, um, what's the thing in the front? Grill? Mm-hmm. Looks like what they are doing now. This is a Mercedes I'm looking mm-hmm. at. It looks like what they're doing now with grills. And it was before they had the actual metal, like, 3D mercedes emblem poking out of the car this actually mm-hmm. because of that they've gone back to the style it looks closer to a modern mercedes than it does yeah. to a classic mercedes absolutely interesting yeah so very far from the kind of cars that you would see at like nascar or something no this yeah. is like a space age kind of car yeah it's so cool so i can definitely understand the appeal of watching a race of a bunch of cars like that because these are sport luxury brands for sure. Um, and they only seat one person. This person's like sitting mm-hmm. in the center of the car. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The race began at 4 p.m. as scheduled, and the lead car is for Ferrari, which was driven by uh, Castellotti. That's his last name. Okay. Jaguar, like I said, driven by Hawthorne, and Mercedes-Benz, which their lead car. So each of these brands had multiple cars in okay. the race, but they had a lead car. Mm-hmm. So these are lead car drivers. Um, and Mercedes-Benz's lead car was driven by... Fan, Fangio? I'll take it. Fan, Fangio? Sorry. I'm doing my best here, people. We'll accept that answer. <clears throat> so they were at the front for the whole first hour. Uh, and like I said, they had other cars in the race, but they were keen, keeping... They had other cars in the race, but they were being kept back to conserve cars. Mm-hmm. So in case anything happened. Uh, but they were all still in the top ten. So they okay. were doing very, very well. Going into the second hour, the Ferrari lead car began dropping back a bit, but the Jaguar and Mercedes-Benz lead cars kept at their duel. Okay. So they kept fighting for, like, the number one spot. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then here in my notes, I have in capitals, credit Wikipedia, because when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of what's about to happen, there's just no way to, like, I can only put so much spin on it. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, straight second-by-second facts. So. I got all of my information from Wikipedia. Noted. Just want to say that. And it's in the show notes. At 6.26 p.m. and at the end of lap 35, when the first pit stops for the leading cars were starting, Hawthorne and Fangio. Fangio? Is that F-A-N-G-I-O? Fangio. I would go, just go for it. Fangio. We're neck and neck. In the previous lap, Hawthorne's Jaguar pit crew had signaled for him to come into the pit on his next lap. He had just lapped LeVay, who is in sixth place, and who was in, like, a second car. Uh, and you say on lap 36? Yes. 36 in two hours. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so uh, LeVay was in sixth place and was determined to keep Fangio behind him for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. 
Coming out of a portion of the circuit, Hawthorne caught Lance Macklin, who had seen Hawthorne and moved over to let him pass. Okay. I don't know um, a lot of the rules of modern motorsports. This seems incredibly civil to me. Uh, Like letting people pass? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's your turn. I know this. You still abide by the rules of the road, even though, yeah. It's not- That might- Yeah. That might be typical. That might still go on. Um, it looks like when you, whenever I watch a race, I feel like you, I see drivers yield to people mm-hmm. they know are going to pass them. And it makes sense because it's like, you're not there for bumper cars. <clears throat> you don't want to run into people going that high yeah. of speed. So it would make yeah. sense that they abide by some sort of rules. But I agree when you're like, what? Just who rules are? There are no rules. You got to win. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised to yeah. learn that. Um, okay. So, yeah, Hawthorne caught Lance Macklin, who had seen him, and moved over to let him pass. Coming up to the main straight, Hawthorne raised his hand to indicate he was pitting and pulled across to the right. Okay. So, although Macklin knew Hawthorne intended to pit, he didn't anticipate, and Macklin's driving Jaguar, he didn't anticipate the Jaguar's advanced state-of-the-art disc brakes that allowed him to slow down in what seemed like an instant. Oh. So as a result, Macklin slammed on his brakes and ran off the right edge of the track, throwing up dust. Okay. He then swerved left to avoid Hawthorne, who just basically slammed on his brakes Uh to go into the pit, and then veered across to the center of the track, briefly out of control. Oh, no. This fatefully put him into the path of Mercedes-Benz's other driver, LeVay, who was closing in at 120 miles per hour or 200 <gasps> kilometers per hour. Oh, no. LeVay had been intent on doing another lap and was at the time in front of Fangio, the other Mercedes-Benz driver, who okay. was patiently waiting to pass. With no time to avoid the unexpected obstacle in front of him, LeVay raised his hand to warn Fangio Likely saving his life. Oh, okay. Fangio, in nothing short of a miracle, closed his eyes and just drove through it. What? (laughs) Yeah, squeezed through it and brushed Hawthorne's now stationary Jaguar in the pit. I can't... That is something out of a movie. That's one of those things where you're like the... Wow. Okay. Exactly. Um, LeVay's front right wheel rode up onto the rear left corner of Macklin's car, mm-hmm. launching LeVay's car into the air, flying over spectators and flipping end over end for 260 feet or 80 meters. End over end, like trunk over yeah. front. Okay. Uh-huh. LeVay was thrown from the wreckage and suffered a fatal skull fracture once he hit the ground. But sadly, that is only the beginning of the carnage. Um. Was were they wearing helmets this time? I yes. mean, not that a helm. Okay, not that a helmet could save you from any of this, but it did occur to me like, well, maybe they're better without seatbelts because they know they're wearing like maybe more protective gear or something. Yeah, I don't think it made a difference here. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Because of a kink in the road, the car was on a direct trajectory towards the packed spectator grandstand. Oh, and it's going 120 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, like, it would be going, like, in a straight line. Right. But the grandstand, like, bumps into the road. Yeah. 
Um, the car landed on that four foot earthen embankment between mm-hmm. the track and the spectators, bounced, and then slammed into a concrete stairwell and disintegrated. A concrete stair, like attached to a building? Yeah, okay. it just happened to be there in okay. the area. The engine block, radiator, and front suspension, being the heaviest components of the car, however, were hurtled directly into the crowd for almost 100 feet or 330 meters. Okay. Okay. This is the bad part. It all has sounded pretty bad up to this point. The bonnet of the car sliced through the air no. and decapitated groups of people. Groups? As it flew through the crowd. Mm-hmm. Mo- they were very, very tightly packed in there. Oh, my God. Okay. So there's video of this. The fact that it's grainy, black and white, and footage from 1955 helps, but it's bad. The clip of the crash itself is so chaotic that I wouldn't really classify it as gory. Um, You can't. It's so grainy that you can definitely tell that there's like a car. It's being flung across the spectators, but you don't see very many specifics. But Mm -hmm. the shots of the immediate aftermath definitely are gory. Ugh. Um, and I'm kind of like, I was really surprised. I didn't, I had seen the video of it going through the crowd before. And like I said, you don't appreciate what's happening just because the quality is so bad. Yeah. So and I the wanted scale. to, I mean, when you see like, you just yeah. have no idea. Exactly. That many people packed in, you don't really see them as people in the grandstand just from As the discernible footage. people. Like you literally yes. can't see individual humans. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to watch that clip when I was reading the details of the crash because mm-hmm. I was like to oh, better to better visualize because it's kind of hard as you describe this to keep the cars and the people straight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it basically just boils down to someone essentially stopped short. Mm-hmm. The person behind him veered off, and someone else ran into them and was launched into the crowd basically yeah it's kind of what it boils down to yeah um but yeah so but i found a clip i think it's like two minutes long on youtube Mm -hmm. and it was clearly from 55 or 56 reporting on what had happened Mm -hmm. and um i was like oh it's 55 they're not going to show anything right like horrific oh my gosh i was wrong this um, is in a news, like a report? Yeah. It's wow. in that voice, like the, and the 1955. Oh. Yeah. So, like, you can find it. It is some person reporting on this horrible crash that happened. And they and, just showed. Yeah. And, I mean, I think it would be worse if it were in color, but you see people on the ground. You see people running, screaming, mm. crying, but you do see dead bodies. So. Oh. This is. A warning. Yeah. Copy that. I don't do any more gore after this, but that is a glimpse into how truly brutal this was. Yeah. So how many people were, how big are the stands? I guess what, what, how many people did this well, affect? Okay. I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Oh, sorry. Jump in the. That's okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So LeVay's car was the one that disintegrated and flew into mm-hmm. the crowd. When it, the rest of it landed on the embankment between the crowd and track the rear mounted fuel tank exploded okay the problem with this is the magnesium alloy that composed the car's bodywork burst into white flames i was going to ask about this when you said it was made out of magnesium i was under the impression magnesium is highly flammable extremely yeah it's what used to be what engines were made of and you like 
oh, I mean, maybe it is still, but they're like notoriously flammable. Yes. So it showered the track and card with mag, and, sorry, and crowd with magnesium embers. Oh, okay. This situation was only exacerbated by rescue workers pouring water onto it, which is exactly that what weird. you don't do with magnesium. Or gasoline. Yeah. Well, for anyone listening who might be dealing with magnesium fire in the future, you need a Class D fire extinguisher. Yeah. Um, so that was bad. Oh, okay. Well, so so it sent off magnesium sparks. Are these like chunks of the car that... I think so. Okay. So they're like, they're sizable. It's not yeah. just like a campfire where, oh, an ember falls on your shirt. This is like a piece of a car. Yes. White hot on fire. Yeah. Because also the part that flew through the crowd, there were parts of it that were on fire. But okay. the large chunk of it that was left on that earthen embankment was certainly mostly on fire yeah oh just a big ball of white hot flames is magnesium light right is that why they did it out of because like why would you okay it's really lightweight okay so in the seconds after this horrific disaster hawthorne overshot his pit and stopped he exited his car and obviously noticed the pure mayhem around him in the stands right but he was really confused because he had stopped this all happened right behind him this and is the guy who made it through. He is the one who, like, closed stopped his, short. Closed his eyes. No. No, that was a, a different okay. guy. Okay. Yeah. And that was Fangio. Okay. Um, okay. So he was confused. This all happened right behind him. He didn't really understand what was going on. So his team ordered him back into the car yep. to do another lap. And he reluctant, reluctantly did so. Do another lap? I'd just be like, get away from the scene. I feel like the race is over now, people. You need to... <laughs> put it on pause well as soon as his lap was done because they just said you know get out of here just drive come back and like we'll figure this out yeah as soon as his lap was done he returned back to the pit and staggered out of his car adamant that he had caused the wreck i think another driver took over for him at this point um he was done he'd only been doing this for two hours roughly like two and a half hours and at this point they were like okay you're you are so traumatized by what just happened that as anyone would be yeah john fitch who was sorry that's me shifting in my chair (laughs) sure it is Uh uh-huh uh john fitch who was levey's co-driver was suited up and waiting to take over in the pit because they were all pulling over for their first pit stops okay so this this happened to coincide with like a natural break in the yes okay mm-hmm. he was standing with Denise Bouyan, Levey's wife. Okay. They saw the entire thing happen right down to Levey's severely burned and battered body laying in full view on the pavement. Okay. Until someone came up and covered it in a tarp. Right. She was obviously inconsolable, and Fitch stayed with her until she could be comforted. Fitch then made a beeline to the media center to make sure his family wouldn't hear of the crash on the radio and think that he was the one driving. Mm -hmm. When he got there, he realized how horrific the crash truly was, as he overheard that there were already 48 confirmed deaths. 48, just in the immediate aftermath. Mm Mm-hmm. He returned to the pit and urged Mercedes to withdraw from the race because, and I cannot stress this enough, the race was still going on. I don't understand that at all. One little bit. Nope. At some point, uh, like at the beginning point, is when you say 
and we're going to put a pin in this. We're going to we're gonna pause it. Yeah. He and the rest of the team agreed, but it took until midnight to get Mercedes corporate or whatever to agree to let them withdraw. Okay. So there is clearly the, the business is pulling the strings here. This is not about like yeah. dedicated. Okay. Okay. That answers my earlier question of like, who's really, com- okay. Yeah. Yeah. But when he did go back to his team, everyone agreed, but he, they said, I, there's like a team organizer, manager person. Mm-hmm. And he was like, couldn't agree more, but I don't think we have the authority to do this. And they were still so afraid of getting in trouble with these huge companies. Uh, who made the car that crashed? Uh, Mercedes. I feel like um, that is when you say we're the captains now. We're you're not here to manage the situation, so we're going to use our discretion too. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that became part of the rules at a later time. Probably. Yeah. At 1.45 a.m., once many of the other spectators had gone, because there were still people who weren't in that area watching a race, didn't really understand what was well, going on. Well, watching a race and that, that like, morbid fascination of, like, did people also start coming to look at the disaster? <clears throat> that, I don't know. I couldn't find any reports, actually, on what people were doing Mm -hmm. i have no idea what the spectators were doing at that point Mm. other than what i saw in the video which was running for their lives and that was it well not yeah and not even that but like if you have this massive crowd and the race is still going on for some reason like yet another reason to stop the race because you're going to have spectators that come and they not only see the race but they're like wow there's this other thing happening and it's just it causes more chaos because there's more people there to manage yeah well that's a very good point that you bring up Very interesting that you say that. Hang on to that point for just 30 seconds. Back pocket. Will do. Um, Okay. So, yeah, at 1.45 a.m., once many of the spectators had gone, the Mercedes-Benz organizer quietly called his car into the pits and withdrew from the race. Their chief engineer walked to the Jaguar pits and asked that they do the same. They declined. Stop it. Everybody else is still racing? Everyone else. Every other team is still going. And after that, Mercedes-Benz wouldn't compete in another motorsport race until 1987. Whoa. Yeah. They took a 32-year break They took a this. big step back. Now, you might think that an unimaginable tragedy such as this would warrant an immediate red flag on the whole race. You would be wrong. Race director Charles Ferru... Uh, decided, or he cited the following reasons for his decision to keep the race going. One, if the huge crowd of spectators left at once, there would be traffic jams on the road surrounding the race, which would prevent medical and emergency crews from getting to the injured spectators. Um, I feel like, I feel like you could control for that by like keeping people in a certain location. Exactly. Uh, two, the companies competing in the race might have sued the race organizers. And they, uh, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. Sure. And number three, and the best of all, and I quote, the rough law of sport dictates that the race shall go on. This ain't showbiz. No, this is like, if you are going to abide by the rules of the road and like wave people over, like you're going to, you're going to have some sense of decorum on the track. You gotta like commit. People have died and tragedy has struck wow 
And I guess finally at the end, he was like, well, I don't even think I had the authority to cancel it anyway, so it doesn't matter. So just no one even tried. Yeah. Well, we're not real sure, so. Exactly. Not like anyone cares, but Jaguars Hawthorne won. <sighs> yeah, that was the last thing on my mind. Yeah, well, exactly. And here's the deal. What What is he? Is, he, is that a win that he's going to be like, yep, pretty proud of that one? Like. There was no victory celebration. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. It wasn't a victory for anyone. Yeah. The official death toll is 83. Oh. With another 120 injured. Wow. witnesses believe the number is much higher. Wow. Motorsports were immediately banned in France, Spain, Switzerland, West Germany, and many other countries until tracks could be made safer. And yes, Germany was split into two at this point. Uh, so it was, they d- couldn't have them in both Germanys? Apparently not. So, well, okay. it was West Germany at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah, made, yeah. made right, the point. Right. I just right, saw right. that and was like, oh yeah, that's what the world was like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that's an appropriate reaction mm-hmm. to uh, evaluate your safety and just say, we're going to pause this until we've had a chance to like make sure this doesn't happen here. Agreed. Most of those bans were lifted within a year. So fast. So fast. All they had to do was just do some checks and inspections, make some rules. Easy peasy. There was a ton of finger pointing that I'm not even going to get into because it all ended with everyone throwing their hands up and saying, whoops. But they did acknowledge that there were inadequate safety standards when it came to track design and subsequently the spectator area. What track design? From what it sounds like, it's just like they roped off some roads and that was that. Yeah. Well, they took... So remember how I said there was a kink in the road that mm-hmm. put the grandstand in, like, direct oh, line yeah. of so the like, crash? Yes. They removed that kink. So that's one thing. And now there's more space between the track and the grandstand. So to be clear, this is the modern day... They still race on mm-hmm. this track. They sure do. Okay. Um, are there different maintenance standards now? Probably. Cool. Cool, cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good to hear that. Um, yeah, I kind of thought they would have, like, maybe ditched that whole setup. Um, I think this is, this circuit and this race is a really, really big deal. I'm sure. And it, I, you know, historical significance and all that. But, like, at some point... But like 83 people died. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, okay. 83. And and just that that many other people were injured. I'm assuming by like burns and well, even trampling. Yeah. Like what, what if people are like scattering and. Oh. Well, yeah. Burns, crush, hit with other debris. Yeah. I saw it was 120 to like almost 200 people were estimated to be injured. The Le Mans track was later fixed and a, de- a deceleration lane was added. Uh, so that way no one's veering off into the middle of the road to avoid someone slamming on their brakes to get into the pits. But spectator safety is, to put it mildly, a moving target in motorsports. Uh, like still to this day? Oh, yes, very much so. Uh, motorsports are inherently dangerous for the drivers, but also very much so for those watching. Google will back me up on this. Spectator injuries at motorsport races are much more common than you may think. 
I guess when I think about a track, like a, a normal circle or a cylindrical, not a cylindrical, oval track, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the walls come up pretty high. But if something crashes, a car breaks apart, there's debris flying, I mean, I, is there a net that catches debris? And even if there is a net, it's a piece of a car flying at you over well, yeah. 100 miles an hour. Exactly. Yeah. There... <laughs> You can easily Google, like, motorsport spectator accidents or things like that. I don't think I will. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything quite as gory to look at now, but you will certainly find a list. Yeah. Uh, many okay. lists. And I watched, there was one in the 80s, a NASCAR situation. That was pretty bad. Again, not gory, but you could tell that that, the net did diddly. Yeah. There was nothing there to help. Yeah. Um, and when I texted our dad about this, he thought he agreed that it was a very important point to bring up that this is not a very safe activity for spectators. Obviously, the more professional, the more established the race that you're going to is probably going to be safer because there are more safeguards in place for spectators. But they're like rally car races and things like that. And, um, like their races are popping up all over the place now. Sure. And there's nothing there to keep spectators safe. Oh, well, I can't say I feel compelled to go to a, I've never been to a race, but I now will just prefer to watch it on TV. Should I want to go see one? Yeah. Impromptu races are becoming more and more of a problem. And the less organization that goes into a motorsport event, the more danger you're inviting into this situation. Impromptu, like highly organized, but still impromptu. Like how, what do you mean impromptu? Like drag races or what, what does this mean? Kind of. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I, he could probably give you a better explanation than I could. We should have had a guest or a guest speaker. We should. Well, I told him that when we made it big, I would just have him do my research for me. (laughs) So. so every disaster will be a motorsports disaster. Yes. Or a plane crash. Or a plane crash, yes. The two, his two specialties. Yes. Um, yeah. So he did give me a lot of good information, but I um, don't I don't always understand exactly what it means when I'm reading it because it's kind of like a culture around motorsports. I don't always understand yeah. the significance or the size of a race yeah. uh, just by hearing about it. Yeah. But um, so... Sure, when you look at it, of the thousands and thousands of people that attend these events every year, it's a pretty small percentage of people that are killed or injured. But the risk, in my opinion, is not negligible. It's not. And we should also mention that our dad is not only a, an enthusiast about racing, he himself doesn't race, but he has a very fast car that he has basically outfitted to race. He likes to drive fast. He's taken courses and things like that. And so he's virtually racing. He's on a track with lots of other people going well over 100 miles an hour. And now I am more nervous than ever to have him do Like he is fully equipped with like five or six point uh, seatbelts and a helmet and the race, the whole nine. He does high performance driving. He does high performance driving. And I just think I'm going to have to have a conversation with him about this because I'm only now understanding the real gravity of the situation. He has grandchildren. It's just irresponsible. It's true. Yeah. So he gave me lots of good resources. Um, But like I said, it's sometimes hard for me to understand exactly what the status quo is for some of these things. 
Um, Because he said there are some races where if a car flips over, that the uh, the spectators will come and flip it back so it can keep going. So Um, those people obviously, like, aren't in a grandstand at a race like this. No, that's like a splash zone, uh, interactive kind of performance sort of thing. Yeah. But when you, like, motorsport events apparently have varying levels of formality and so i want to go to the black tie sporting event the most (laughs) formal motorsports event sure yes that's my speed so people if you are going even to a black tie motorsporting event there's no benefit to being in the first couple of rows take that high seat the nosebleeds probably have an even better view of what's going on. True. That's the thing. It's kind of like a football game where you're like, yeah, you could be there, but like everyone looks like ants anyway. And you can't even see the ball. Just watch it on TV. Exactly. That is how I feel about it. Yeah. So that is the 1955 Le Mans disaster. That was positively horrific. Moo, thank you. You're so welcome. And Dad. Thank you, too, Dad, for suggesting this one and providing Moo with all of her information. Not all. Also, thank you, Wikipedia. But Yes. Big shout out to Wikipedia. Big shout out. When this podcast starts making money, we should Sponsored by Wikipedia, small yes. Part, small portion of it to Wikipedia. Yes. Yes. They are crucial. Mm-hmm. To ours and many other podcasts. Yes. That... That was a fascinating little slice of motorsports history. Um, good to know that something po- positive in the way of, you know, track maintenance and updates and guidelines and safety and all that kind of stuff. But also a great warning to anybody else who might not otherwise know or understand what buying a ticket to a motorsporting event might mean. You take your risks. Um, now on another heartbreaking note, Bailey, do you want to make our announcement for us? Oh, <laughs> I was like, you can't serve up more heartbreak. This here's is my second disaster. Here's my second disaster. Oh, this is sad, but for, for happy reasons, actually. So the Janes, the Calamity Janes are going to be going on a little bit of a hiatus. As we have alluded to in this and previous episodes, I, my ego is prego and I'm about to have <laughs> this baby. And so I'm going to be taking a little bit of a maternity leave. We're thinking at least two months. We could be back sooner. Please don't mourn us. We, we are not, we're gone, but not forgotten. And we're not gone forever. You know what I mean? Yes. And uh, while Bailey is raising the future world Best. leader, yes, uh, I ever. am going to be studying for a test. Uh, you could so, really, I mean, it's not just any test. It's the bar. I'm studying for the bar. It's the bar. Uh, which is less who's... fun than it sounds. I, you know, envision <laughs> martinis and... All that kind of stuff, but it's not. That would be a really different vibe than very than different what I'm vibe. Be experiencing. You might be less stressed if it was about martinis. That is very true. Yeah. Uh. So as yeah, but now that I've told all of you about it, everyone's gonna ask me about it when it's done. So for better or worse, I'm taking the bar in February. Bailey is having a baby, and so we're gonna be. And able for to better see. or worse, I'm having a baby. <laughs> for so. better or worse, Bailey's having <laughs> I'm a baby. A baby. 
So we're taking uh, yeah. off a little bit of time. But in the meantime, we would love it if you would still continue to send us emails. They brighten up our day with the disasters. Oh, my God. If you send us emails during this dark, bleak time I'm about to go into, I will okay, love send you. Me <laughs> <emails>. <laughs> send me emails. Send me emails with recommendations because we will still, well, Madison might not be, but I will still be researching for shows and, and likely up late at night doing what. I don't know, whatever it is I'm going to do with this kid. <laughs> and uh, probably down deep Reddit rabbit holes or YouTube rabbit holes. So give me something to research. God, that was the best part of the, the fourth trimester. Yeah. Those late night Reddit browse. Yeah. Yeah. So get, I need something to look for. So that's what we're going to be doing. So we apologize for the hiatus. We really, our intention was to catch up. Yes. We mentioned this in a previous episode that we had fully intended to build up a library of episodes that we could release. And folks, that just did not happen. Life happened instead. And instead, we put 110% into all the episodes that we have been creating so far. And we didn't want to, you know, skimp. No, Skin. we don't want to. We don't want to do anything halfway. No, we're committed to you guys. You're our best friends. We yes. don't let you down. You are our best friends, which is why we're going to miss you. But we're also going to be very busy. We're going to be very busy. Very so, busy. don't forget about us. Um, we will try to have a presence in your lives, one way or another. And okay, uh, says the girl who's <laughs> nowhere to be found on social media. Like, know, where? How exactly are you going to be present? Well, are you going to be more present? Mm, not in a Jane's capacity. Although I will say, I I dare me to start a TikTok. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I have this if you idea. You want to see us on TikTok? We'll do it. I I am so into like short stories on TikTok that I was like, how great would it be to do short disasters on TikTok? Um, which once I started like really thinking through is harder than it sounds because you have to do the research, you got to do the, the graphics in the background. But oh, I just I I personally love listening to Me short too. things on TikTok, and so I would love to create it, um, too. Yeah, that would be very cool. So if anyone wants to do the research and write a TikTok <laughs> for a TikTok. us, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, totally understand if you don't want to. We'll work on that on our end. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's going to happen. We'll be back with you guys as soon as we can, but we are not excited for this. So. Okay, <laughs> speak for yourself. I have been working for many months on this. I'm I'm pretty excited. Well, good. I mean, I guess we'll be fine. Yeah. Ready to serve this eviction notice. Oh, but that's it. That's our announcement. That is it. So we are going to miss you guys so much. But like I said, stay in touch. Email. Um, email. <laughs> and email us. E- email us in email format. And uh, we cannot wait to take a little break, come back refreshed and ready with new disasters in just a few short months. Yes. It'll fly by. You guys have got the holidays. You're not even going to miss us by the time oh, we no, come back. Oh, no, you are. You're going to be so busy. You're going to have so much stuff going on. And we cannot wait to catch up and hear all about what's going on with you when we do. Yes, exactly. Keep a journal. Let us know. Oh, my gosh. We want to know everything. Everything. Tell us what you had at your holiday meals. Recipes. We love sharing recipes around here. Oh, my God. Could you imagine if we had a Calamity Jane's recipe book? Oh, that would be incredible. That would be amazing. The dream. A dream. One day. When we start our merch. Everybody <laughs> yeah. else has shirts and wine openers, and we're going to have a cookbook. 
a cookbook. A crowd, a Calamity Jane's crowdsourced cookbook. Yes, exactly. I love it. Yep. Big things coming for this big podcast. Big things. Big <laughs> things. Here we are saying we're going to take a hiatus and promising the world. Oh my gosh. I know. But we have enjoyed this time with you and we will be back very soon. We will. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.